0: the music go where'd the music go i just love that song i just love that song what's up ladies and gentlemen boys and girls it is friday night 5 p.m civic standard time 8 p.m eastern standard time your place for the unfiltered experience where we have unfiltered conversations designed to help you change your perspective about your situation now and take action on creating the ultimate person that you want to be in your life i'm christopher roush
1: i am scott goyet scott goyet
0: so polished when you say it, Scott Goya. What's yeah. going on, Scott? You've had a busy week this week, brother. You're getting ready to, uh,
1: yeah, fly away, fly away to Costa Rica. So let me go do all that. <laughs> Fútbol vida. We just talked about it, right?
0: Nice. Are you gonna? So you're so you're going down there. To talk to us. You're going to be going down there, leading a retreat, right? You and your wife
1: yeah we're um we do uh yoga and wellness retreats every year in montezuma at a resort called anamaya and it's um it's literally the number one and most beautiful place you've ever been number one retreat center in costa rica um it's a 270 degree view you can see the pacific like just like canopy you know all the monkeys and everything and one of the things that's amazing is the time of year we're going is storms will be coming in from over the ocean. So like eight, 10 miles away, we'll see the storm literally coming in all like, it's, it's crazy, all the lightning, the thunder and you see it. And so the monkeys start chirping, all these other animals start running through and then it hits you all at once. And you get that like three or four nights out of the seven. It's unbelievable. It's a magical place. So.
0: Will you get hit by any hurricanes? I'm not good at geography, but
1: there's there's no hurricanes, um but what we do get is we get insane lightning to a point that it's that place has been hit so many times, like it's been hit and you know, it's crazy scary. The thunderstorms in Texas are insane. Those put these to shame. It's unreal. And we're on this big hill, so there's two things you will get. You get uh, earthquakes and you get um insane thunderstorms, but I haven't seen like a tornado, monsoon. I don't know. We're here. we're okay. I'm still here. I've been doing this for ten years and I'm still alive, so <sighs> it's okay.
0: You just get a rope and hang to a tree, right?
1: There you go.
0: Mm-hmm. That do. that shit scares me. All those all those all those storms that are that are happening and all the hurricanes. No, thank you. People give me shit about being here in California. Like, well, you're gonna have an earthquake. I'm like, well, so far in fifty-two years, I haven't had a big one yet. So maybe I might skate out of here without having the big one. Leave it all to you, people. I don't know. <laughs> And if we have the big one, we'll figure it all out. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you guys to go out there and have a good time and and inspire some people and uh, and go out there and uh, change the world. I mean, that's what we're all talking about. And speaking of changing the world, our guest tonight, I've done a little preliminary research on her, and I know you definitely know her, and I'm super excited to dive into this conversation. So without any further ado, please introduce our guest.
1: Yeah, so... In the world of coaching, speaking, podcasting, which you and I are you know, deep diving into every single day, this is a woman who is head and shoulders above many. And she's a CEO, she's a podcast host, she's a speaker, and she's an extremely amazing researcher. When she leans into something, she makes sure that she's gonna become an expert, expert on it. Um, let's welcome Janine Ledford.
0: Janine, welcome to the
2: Unfiltered Experience. What's going on? Thank you so much. Excited to be here. I was like, mm-hmm. I made it. I made it to the top. I'm on the <laughs> Unfiltered Experience.
0: Yes. I love it. Where I anything it. can go. How are you doing tonight?
2: Good. I just, my, this is my life's work, so I'm excited to, to share it with you. And you guys are truly creative thinkers, so I'm really looking forward to seeing where this is going to take me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, fasten your seatbelts because Scott asked some pretty <laughs> awesome questions, so I'm going to let Scott lead off the conversation.
1: So I'm gonna ask a question, how did 2020 treat you as, I know you wear a lot of hats, but let's start with that <laughs> speaking hat. You know, you're coming into 2020, I'm sure like me and like the rest of the speakers, in March, you've got some speeches booked out, you've got this vision of what the next few months, the next year, the next two years is gonna look like, bam, complete shift. What did that look like for you and what did you do to to pivot? Because we've all had a pivot in some capacity. What did you do to pivot in that moment? And let's go from there.
2: Well, the fact that I quit my full-time job and left healthcare benefits and what I've known to be my you know, entire life of being an educator for 15 years in June of 2019 and really just setting up 2020 to help in this area, That was a pivot, but pivots cause you to take a step back and to think for most people if they have those those muscles in, in place. Right. And I really am into reframing. And what I have spoken about is that when you're put in that situation, it really helps you see things that you didn't see before. And what it also did was, you know, I've been talking about creativity for a while. I've been teaching about it within my classrooms. I think this shift, the shift that we're still currently in, by the way, it made other people who laughed at me before you know creativity it it made them pay attention because the world economic forum has now listed creativity as a number one skill needed in the workforce and for us to go to businesses and say that prior to 2020 but now people are actually finally paying attention Mm.
1: so so i i love i love that i i want to i want to take your It's funny because one of the things people don't really realize is we don't tell each other what we're going to say or what we're going to do at all. So it's beautiful, the organic nature of these conversations. So one of the things that I've been talking about with people recently is I always talk to people about getting off autopilot and autopilot seems to be a very analytical brain thing. It really does. It seems to be people are overanalyzing, over do you got to do this, got to do that. And they're losing that creativity. And I think the world, is collectively waking up. And of course, you know, we can talk about this all day long. And 2020, the pandemic, a lot of the things that are happening are the punch to the face, the opportunity for us to just really dive into that creative mind. And that creative mind is the one that recognizes us as a creator in this universe. And sit and think about that for a minute. You are a co creator of this universe. And when you're in the hyper analytical and we're just going down this, do this, do this, let's make money. Let's look at the numbers. Let's keep doing this. You forget who you really are. Let's talk about that collectively right now. Mm-hmm. What can we teach people to get into the creative, recall who you really are and what's out there for us once we do that?
2: Well, you do. You touched upon a, a few things there. Just my background is in elementary ed, so I did 15 years teaching from K5, and then I started a nonprofit for sixth grade to 12th grade of people of kids who are who graduated from the elementary school that I taught at, and then I taught at the university, California State University, for teachers who are getting their masters. And this was all at the same time. So in one week, I saw a four-year-old all the way to a 64-year-old in the same week. And so that's really what made me take a step back, right, and ask, are we really giving our youth the skills that they need to think quickly, to adapt, to be observant of trends and patterns in order to survive and thrive, not just survive, but thrive in this workforce, in this landscape that is constantly changing, you know, staying ahead of the learning, learning curve. And and that's when I realized in my TED talk, I talk about this, that we are, are not because we're teaching them to be routine. We're teaching, get a job, make lots of money, buy lots of stuff and then sit in a rocking chair and die. And that forum formula, it may have worked for my great great grandfathers of working at one place for 40 years. That formula is not going to cut it today. And so if you look at the research, so the number one indicator of a highly creative person is someone who is open to new experiences. And so you have to take your brain, take yourself and intentionally put yourself in new experiences, new cult- cultures, and just around new people with different lived experiences in order to get your brain out of that ru- routine. So I can tell quick, quickly almost the creative level of someone by how they're speaking to me and what they're speaking to me ab- about if they're trying new things or if they're they're shifting perspectives more often than the average person. A person. And your brain needs that. And by a chance, if this is unscripted, I actually have a brain with me. You have a brain. I have a brain. I have two
0: brain on the show, ladies and gentlemen.
2: <laughs> but you know, when you start your career with young people, you have to have props, right? And you have to be very an, animated. So I just take that.
0: Because I remember that commercial.
2: I don't have eggs. I do have a diamond though. Um, <laughs> not with me, but, um, but, but yeah. And so people have been jarred out of the root, r- routine. I say routine is a grave or, you know, like a rut, right? With a grave with just the ends, the ends cut, cut out. And part of my work is reminding people exactly what you just said. You have this untapped creative potential that you just ignored, that sadly, sometimes a school system teaches you out of that to ignore it, that you really need to take hold of, develop, and understand how the brain works in order to maximize it.
0: Ooh, you're talking about neuroplasticity
2: you got it. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's uh-huh. something that Scott and I really talk a lot about on this show. And I'm fascinated with is the fact that the conditioning process that we go through as kids from zero to five, zero to seven. And when I was thinking about, you know, the creativity process and, and, and the fact that the people I coach, I find that they have lost so much of that creativity, the adventurous, we lose those, those characteristics that make us kids because the, the, the adults and the caretakers in the world want us to be safe and want us, you have to be realistic. You have to do all these things. Talk to us about getting back to that playfulness and getting back to that childlike experience and being able to rewrite some of those memories. Like you talk about perspectives. How can we shift the perspectives of some of those situations that maybe stifled our creativity? Maybe we wanted to be a singer and they said, oh, you suck. You have a bad voice. And we, from that point on said, okay, I've got a bad voice or you're never going to be a magician. You always suck. Talk to us about how we can reframe some of those perspectives on that so that we can become more creative
2: sure well first of all i want to make sure we're working with the right the same def definition a lot of people um solely equate creativity with artistry and artistry is is a subset of creativity and that's very important uh but there's like you said there's a lot of people walking around saying they're not creative because they can't sing like whitney houston or they can't dance like justin timberlake so i really want to make sure we're clear on the definition there creativity and i'm putting out a new definition creativity is the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevance, value, and novelty. And it's found in all fields, all disciplines. And the reason why I put problem finding is because when you're really around someone who's truly creative, they're not just solving the problems or, or trying to attempt to solve the problems that are put in their lap, they're out there Finding problems, they're being aware. They're seeing things that aren't quite right, or they're seeing frustrations that you that that we we may just you know deal with and move on. But they're like, well, why is it this way? Well, what if I could do something better? They're looking at patterns. They're just really sensitive, and they are finding problems and then solving them. So that is my new def- definition of creativity. And when you watch children, I do. You guys have have kids? Or, yep, four
1: and a half year old. I, four. Yeah, I think you have a four and and a half year old. He's got one four. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay. And I I have a three, three year old and I say he was born at the perfect right time because I'm deep in my research on what a creative, creative person is. And I have a creative genius in my house right now. And so if you watch your children, number one, the brain, the brain is fully just on powerhouse growing from zero to four after four years old, the amount of neurons that are growing and trying to connect um, slows down dramatically. And I tell them the formative years are from 0 to 12. Like if you're trying to really build that foundation, you got to get it before 12. You're trying to learn a a new language where you won't speak an accent, you got to get it before 12. But another thing creatively, like you um, touched on, um, Chris, is them building the mindset of what a creative thinker is. So I'm very cognizant about that. My son does declarations at night. He says, I am creative. I am curious. I am observant, right? Um, another thing that he does is kids will do this automatically. And I, I don't know if you've experienced this, where you've bought them an expensive toy and they play with a toy for two minutes and then play with the box for two hours. Yes. That's called functional agility. That is their ability to take a item and use it for a use that wasn't intended for. So when my son puts a placemat on his head and says it's a hat, he has never seen his parents do that at all. His brain said, this could be a hat, so let me turn into a hat. Um, Children do that automatically. We grow out of that because of what you just said. So we have to teach adults to lose their functional fixedness fict- and get back to the agile way of thinking. And those are your creative abilities in the workforce. Do you have functional agility? And then other thing is just observation. We have our phones in front of our face all the time. And so humans are already at a def- deficit. And um, just, you know, there's sounds we can't hear, there's things we, we, we can't see, um, mic- microwaves, gamma, gamma waves. So we're already missing out on some, some things that other animals can hear. But are we doling our senses even more? So children, they're very just observant about their surroundings and they're very curious about their observations. So getting adults back to that level, will take some training, that's what I do, that's what I I love, but just taking a a note from our kids is the first step.
0: Yes, love that. I saw
1: Scott.
0: Go ahead, Chris. No, I saw you you were leaning. I was like, okay, he's got something to jump on this.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's so much beauty in everything that's being said here, and I'm all on board. Um, you know, we talk about the word curiosity all the time, and curiosity is the, you know, the predecessor of what you're saying. Like, when I start getting curious, I look at the mat and I'm like, huh, that's a hat. But for people looking at me, am I silly? Am I being ridiculous? And here's the thing. What happens when you're silly? Let's think about what happens when you say what happens when you're being ridiculous? You're probably laughing. You're probably feeling good you shift out of beta into alpha, you get to a more creative state. I mean, none of this is rocket science, but we've strayed away from it for so long. And so, you know, to your point, I love looking at some of the organizations that I've gone in to speak to who have this kind of like a behavior where they they might say on Fridays, people can have a beer at work, or they have a Friday, you dress a certain way or do whatever you want, or bring your animals to work or whatever it is. Like, I love seeing that. And I always can tell the, the people that, are just on autopilot would be like how are we going to get any work done if you're doing that that's ridiculous you don't need to do that that's not part of work and i'm like mm-hmm. i it's, it's good i like listening to people talk like you like you said that you can listen to somebody and know really quickly where they're at it's the same thing i listen to this person for two seconds i'm like they're in that camp they're in that camp they're exactly where they need to be and it's really simple really quick you know who's going to be somebody who's really going to grow embrace curiosity able to get into that childlike space and then those who won't and it's so to that point let's talk about somebody who's if you want to go here go talk about somebody who's in an office or in an environment where they feel stuck because where they're at they can't in their mind return to that space of childlike growth they're stuck in autopilot everyone around them is doing the same thing what do we tell those people who might want to make some shifts
2: there's two places to start for me. First of all, is going back to the childlike realm. Mm-hmm. I tell people the quote that Frederick Douglass said. He, he said, it's easier to build strong children than, than r- repair broken men and women, right? And so with that, a lot of the work that I do, if you look at my seven gems of in- intercultural creativity, the first gem is creative growth mindset, You know, based off of the work of Carol Dweck with growth mindset, fixed mindset. So a lot of people, I have them reflect on did you experience creative abuse? And that's a term that I'm, I'm coining because it could be something as just, you know, peers, just saying kind of like what Chris was saying before, you know, your idea is, is dumb. Um, creative abuse could be a, a, Uh, Offset of other types of abuse. You know, if if you're in any type of domestic or whatever abuse, you know, a lot of times your your idea ideation is attacked as well, and your identity is attacked. So anything that has attacked your identity, especially during your formative years, you have brought into your adult years, and so that's why you have some people who just they follow they follow status quo, they follow the rules, and they never go above there. So one of the first step is dealing with that of thinking about, okay, do I have to unravel some of that work and then rebuild? And there's your declarations. There's your reframing. The second step is looking at your area, looking at your environment, everything your brain is taking in and it's communicating something. So if you look at, you know, places like Google or just like my, my school that I used to work at, color on the walls, open spaces. Why do kindergartners have the best areas and environments to be creative, but 12th grade classrooms look like jails? Have you ever thought thought about that? And yes. you're asking the 12th grader to be fully creative and they have to sit in rows. There's nothing on the walls, no print rich environment. And then they go into the workforce and they're in cubicles with with you know nothing. And people used to make fun of me when they would come into my, cub- my cubicle when I was uh, working before I taught, they're like, this is like your home. I was like, yes, because I'm. I know how the environment affects the way that I think, and so if I'm going to be in a cubicle, it's going to be. You know, this is Janine's space, and so there's there's those two places to start to start with. And another thing is, creativity is a skill. Therefore, it can be caught, um, taught. It's caught and taught because social contagion. If you're around someone creative, it catches you. Just like if you're around someone who's always like a downer, it 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 catches on. So you have to be aware aware of that, who you're around, um, the environment you're in, any past work that you have have to do, and then knowing, believing, and saying you are creative.
1: You, you just gave me something that I'm going to steal from you, and I'm going to tell you to steal it, so it's not really stealing. So Chris, <laughs> Chris, and I, um, we always talk about team, and it's. Uh, I stole this from another friend too, but he gave me the rights to take it. Um, good friend of mine. So it's team is have somebody in your circle that you trust somebody who energizes you somebody who holds you accountable and somebody who's a mentor we're gonna have to start calling it C team because one of the we're gonna have to have a creator in there because they can you, you just when you said that that resonated so loud and clear that you have to have somebody who is intentionally creative in that group and and the reason being is you can have that team like yeah this is why I love these conversations that team can bring you out of autopilot but if you have that person you're going to be that contagion of that creativity that's going to be one more thing that's going to yank you from that space of that hyper analytical autopilot so so do you mind if i borrow that can we call it c team now
2: everything i have is the world so same, it's almost same. like the a, the the a team same. right but it's the c same.
1: the c team the c team and you know what's funny about the c team too people are gonna they're gonna they're gonna love that because they're like wait i thought we're supposed to get a's We're like no we want instead of an a we don't want autopilot we want creativity so i'm gonna tell randy it's randy Paris, by the way randy is gonna have to add c to the c team and we're gonna all start using it so mm-hmm. so, <laughs> so thanks for thanks for plugging that into my brain because i love that idea of that contagious nature of, of creativity is beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. The contagious nature. I love that. You know, you know it spawns me to think about a question here for you, Janine, confident, well-spoken, articulate, intelligent. Talk to us about a time in your life where your creativity was at your lowest and you had to spin on something and you had to bring about a change in yourself, in your creativity to get you to where you're at today.
2: Believe it or not, you, you say those adjectives and I thank you for them. But I actually started my life in special education. I was a speech therapist. I had a stutter and still have a stutter, but it was very significant within my childhood years. And when you stutter, that affects your identity because communication is so key. If you're unable to communicate your ideas, it's frustrating. If you ever see someone who's going through either a physical ailment where they're unable to communicate, it's very, very, yeah, it's very difficult, especially during your formative years where you're forming your identity of who you are. And and I have a twin who was on the speech debate team and she won awards and beautiful person, brilliant. But that even made it even harder because people compare twins, correct? And we're oh, yeah. fraternal twins, but still. And just a shame. I was just ashamed. And I knew I had creative ideas. I just couldn't get them out fluently. And I always had a MacGyver type of mind. You know, MacGyver is a great example of functional oh, yeah. agility, you know, making bombs out of rap wrapper paper, right? And I knew the way that I thought and I knew I was creative, but my sister was engaged. She was a speech um, team. I was in general education classes and just had to fight to, to get a B. And I just knew that I was creative still and I grew up and still dealt with this in my adulthood. But because I was raised by a mother who put us in situations that were new and that we had to work on our courage, that helped saved me. And so I say that I'm not the inventor of intercultural creativity. My, my mother is because she knew the importance of putting us in situations where we could build these skills. But walking on that TEDx stage, that was it. And I think the, the pivoting moment of my mind shift was first of all reading a book called Stutter Boy and I realized that my journey wasn't alone knowing that other people have gone through this and still have um, contributed well. So that was a huge thing, finding other people who who are dealing with what you're dealing with and they're successful. So Mm -hmm. that helps you build your identity. But shifting it, shifting the focus off of me and saying my message is key and there's other people who need to hear what I have to say. So even if I stutter saying it, I still have to work hard. and of course, I did the work. I joined the to- Toastmasters. I practice for my speeches and I do a lot of mechanisms internally that you're not even seeing now that helps me speak more fluently and not stutter as much. And but yeah, once I, I put the focus off of me and I said there's students out there, there there's people who need to hear what I have to say. that helped me go from the speech therapy room to the to the TEDx stage and now a global speaker now, because people need to hear this message.
1: And you, you couldn't have articulated that better. And, and the reason being is what you just said is probably the most important nugget of, there might be more, but I'm gonna say that's probably the most important nugget of this whole show, because every single person has some part of their brilliance that they need to share with the world. That's why they're here. And if they allow the way they look or their financial situation, or the way they communicate verbally to hold them back, you just said it. That's something that that individual is allowing God creator universe has literally given you some brilliance and said, share this with the world. Now we're told we have to be type A and all in people's face and super articulate and like this or whatever. And I always have the introverts in my class say stuff like, well, I'm not like you. I can't do that. And I say, well, what can you do? And they're like, I'm a good writer. I'm like, then write it. Then, then share it. There's a million ways you can take what's in here in your heart and in your mind and deliver it. But do not ever believe that what you have inside is not worth it because one of the vehicles isn't working as well as you would like. And the fact that you overcome it. And I mean, one of the things that I think is incredible about Joe Biden, and I know you must be feel the same way, is the fact that he'll go out there. Do you know how hard it must be for somebody who is stuttered? Of course you do he's speaking in a debate against a person who's insanely arrogant who's ramming stuff i can't imagine the stress on him dealing with that I, I literally can't even imagine the stress so whether you like his politics or not the fact that he's able to sit there compose and share what's in here and in here it blows my mind like that impresses me i i can watch that all day long me the, the underdog get their words out so so thank you for overcoming that Thank you for inspiring others because that's badass, period. And everyone has that in them. So thank you. Yeah. And
2: there's um there there's a, a great point there. Someone asked me, which is a pivotal question as well, is if you had your choice, would you would would you rather been born without a stutter? And that made me stop and think. You know, of course your initial answers, yeah, sure. But would I be the woman I am today if I didn't have that mountain to climb? And, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, fully uh, cured. And I believe stuttering is a part of my identity. And, and, you know, there's, there's people who are doing great things who are still stuttering through it, but it was just that reframing, like my stuttering helped me be stronger. And to the other point you made, I want to talk about is the uniqueness part where you said, every person has that position or that element within them to, to, to shine. Mm-hmm. Our logo is the diamond for our company at Cafe Strategies. And I, and I chose that for a reason. Number one, metaphorically, you can teach so many lessons on just how diamonds are made and the pressure, the heat. right? But diamonds look not like diamonds when you find them in, in the rock, correct? Mm-hmm. Some people have even walked past them, not even thinking that there are any, any, anything. And there's a lot of people who are getting walked past who are beautiful diamonds and mm-hmm. they are just not um, understanding that, yeah, you have to do a little work just buffing you off and, and cutting you. And if you actually do the research on a diamond, it's the cut. People think it's the carrot that is the most important element. It's not the carrot. It's the cut. Mm-hmm. And so these life experiences have given me my cuts, my, my stuttering, um, just, you know, dealing with with school and, and trying to, you know, just all of the, the life experiences give you those cuts. Having good good coaching give, gives you the uh, cuts. And another element of the diamond is there's dark spots within the diamond. If, I, I don't know if you have one. I, I got one. Hey, he put mm-hmm. a ring on it. And there's dark parts of diamonds as well, but the dark parts are there. So the bright parts could shine even brighter. And so I use that metaphor when I talk to my my clients and my students of don't be ashamed of the struggles that you've had in your life because they've actually helped you build the muscle of resilience and regeneration and courage that are helping you step out into what you're called to step out today.
0: Dropping gems, dropping gems. I want to talk about something that's important <laughs> to a lot of people that that tune into the show and, and thinking about something that I was on a path before. Talk to us about, you know, in the creative process, we I think about creativity as creativity and execution. Let's let's create, and let's execute, let's see what happens, let's adjust. A lot of people out there don't have that ability to to pivot and adjust. Um, and be creative. They've got that self negative talk that's going on in their minds and saying, you know, I don't know how to be creative. I don't know how to be resourceful. What advice can we do for those people who have, uh, who have come out of COVID and they're comfortably miserable. They know they need to make a change in their life. They are, they're, they're stuck. They know they have to make massive decisions in their life. Not even massive decisions, even small decisions in their life. Uh, What's that creative process look for for somebody who has been so mired down in the opinions and beliefs of everybody else? Where do they start getting creative? Like if they want to start branding themselves that they want to start discovering just even who they are what is a process for and i think i think it all begins with the core right there how do we discover who we are in that creative process to really find out what it is that we're supposed to be doing the most
2: well, there's one thing, bringing back my, my brain, I do a lot of all, all, all of my work is based on neuroscience. So I'm glad you guys are, are brain, brain fanatics as well. And two of the guests on my podcast are actual neuroscience. One is Dr. Michael Platt. He's one of the top neuroscientists in the, the nation. So I, and he has a book called The Leader's Brain. So I highly recommend it mm-hmm. if you like to, um, to support some of your work with neuroscience. And what he talks about is that there's several networks going on in the brain. There's the focus network, you know, like when you're doing bills, you're sending emails, you're focused on a particular task. Then there's the innovation network. And that is quote unquote when you're daydreaming, when you're staring off into space and your ideas are swimming around. And I don't think we give our time or give ourselves enough time to be in our innovation network. We don't allow the subconscious to do what it needs needs to uh, do, even though it's always running. But we don't allow the the conscious and the subconscious to really have that interplay. You might get it when you're dreaming, and, and so and and I know you you understand the the different freak freak frequencies. But I highly rec- recommend people to have their downtime. it's You're not wasting time. You're I mean, like Sleep is not a waste of time. It's crucial for you, and downtime. And so my three-year-old son would sometimes kind of just go off and stare, and I would kind of get him back, Sean, Sean, come back to me. I don't do that anymore because he is internally with his thoughts and he's working stuff out. I mm-hmm. let him be. And when we get in the car, I don't put electronics in his lap. I let him stare out the window. That's, that's crucial because he's building his understanding of the world and new ideas. The second thing I, I would have people do is something that uh, my, my coach, Coach Earl, who I know you, you, you uh, know, um, had me do. And I believe people should do it earlier in, in life. And I have my students do um, who are coming out of high school. I look over what I have done with a critical eye and really assess the value to it. People would just say, oh, you know, Janine, she's the kindergarten teacher. And I joined a board where I was sitting next to like the CEO of LinkedIn and the senior vice president of Facebook. And I had huge if you want to talk about imposter syndrome, I had huge imposter syndrome syndrome at that time. But I wasn't taking an account. What who am I? What have I done and what have I contributed I have taught all these kids. I have written for articles. I published my first book about me coming out of hundred thousand dollars worth of debt because of the lack of financial literacy in, in K-12. I, you know, then I was just starting to look again at what have I done? Who have I helped? What can I offer? And which cre- and what creativity have I put out there into the world? And when you do that, you'll have that, wait, I can do this. Yeah. That's all you need is- I can do 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 this. And, and it's because you spent so many years of people he, of hearing that you can't, can't, can't. And I tell that to parents, be mindful of what you say to your children during their formative years, because you are their inner voice that will then be the inner voice of their adulthood. So if you're here doing no 15,000 times a day, guess when they're adult, what they're going to be telling themselves that they can't do it.
0: Okay what's another word for no because to your point I know what I know about the child development phase and Scott and I've had countless conversations about this sometimes I'm like okay I'm personal development I know this is important okay how do I handle this situation how to but I get myself caught up into it so much that I wasn't necessarily being a dad so I was like okay let me ease up on that analytical part be more of a dad but then you to to your point and to the to the fact of, of people I coach it's like how many times are we told no versus how many times are we told yes or or stop that or that's too dangerous and I find myself I told my wife I said you know what He's gonna. We all learn how we learn. If I learned how to touch a stove, damn thing was hot. I touched it again; it was hot, and I touched it again; and I burned myself. That's how I learned. Somebody could tell me the stove was hot all day. I had to learn. So now with him, I'm like, he's got to learn. You know, I don't want to sit there and be okay, but that's dangerous, and that's just that might wobble, that might this, because I'm like, I'm setting him up for 12 years later. Well, it might, it might, it might, it might. It might to your point, how do we as parents like? To hit the pause button and be able to reframe what it is that we're trying to do for the safety of our child for the good of our child without being like neurotic about it yeah
2: and that's a great question and when my book comes out christopher i'm going to send you one signed uh, well both, both both of you because i believe parents and educators people in authority positions over over children they, they we have to get some more information especially as as M- M- MRI and brain science is telling us a lot more um, than it did 20, 20 years ago. When I was at UCLA in 1997, I was that that subject, you know, doing MRI, you know, tests just because they, they needed a person. But now it's, it's gone so much deeper. Right. And so, what I advise parents to do. Is, so, let's say your son or a, da- or a daughter, or um, daughter, boy, boy, boy or girl, boy, your boy, boy. boy, your boy. Yep. Let's say he's jumping on the tape, a table, right? And you know, you don't want him jumping on the table for a myriad of reasons instead of saying stop jumping on the, on the table and you know, I'm like, okay, it looks like you want, want to jump. Now this isn't the best place to do it. Let's do it over here. My my husband saw that my son loves to jump. Maybe maybe it's a boy thing. I'm not sure, but he purchased a trampoline. So we have a trampoline in our living room, a little one. So he can do that, you know, I, because kids need to move to think, be mindful of that. They're very connected with the mind and the body. It's us adults who have separated how the body is, is, uh, Giver of information to the mind, right? Um, so people need to move to think. Everyone does, but kids really know know that. And so I look at what's um, what's driving the behavior. Another incident is my son was cutting just random things and then he started cutting his, his mat that he eats on. Of course we don't wanna do, do that. My normal response is no, don't cut that. But then I stopped and said, wait, he's just being curious. He knows what paper feels like to be cut but he doesn't know what rubber feels like. He doesn't know what cloth feels like. And so what we did was we just got a bag with all these different types of materials that he can cut. And so I stopped and I asked myself, wait, why is he doing that? Is it curiosity? And then how do I set up a safe place for him to explore mm-hmm. the curiosity that isn't destroying our, our, our home or putting him in danger? With the fire thing, of course, we've all had that happen and I've seen that, but I take my son's hand and I put it above the flame. So you feel the heat. This is why you shouldn't be touching hot stoves, because the closer you get, the hotter it is. So I just kind of reframe this environmental situation so he can still experience it without burning his hand off.
0: <laughs> mm, nice nice that. thank you for thank you for sharing that sorry my uh, internet pause there for a second so if i my phrase froze then i hope i was smiling but uh <laughs> yeah that's so important and, and thank you for sharing that and i definitely want to read your book oh, yeah,
1: yes. a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny that um you bring that up too because obviously there's the different periods during the growth you know of, of a child and you know our daughter's 14 she's going to be 15 and she says that um can she just have her room to be a messy place like like everything else in the house is clean she goes please don't put no new carpet in there please don't paint the walls please don't because that's a place where she just wants to just be purely comfortable and at first you know we're like well we're we're redoing this we're redoing this and then we're like okay and so but now that we've asked her more we're like well why do you want to you know let it be messy and she goes She goes, well, you know, everything has to be organized. Like she starts explaining it like her whole life has to be like organized. She just wants that place to retreat. And then as we kind of like talk through it more, she's like, actually, I guess I don't mind it organized. And so, you know, she'll actually talk herself into the idea of having the space that's organized. She goes, I just don't want you guys to tell me it has to be organized. And we're like, and we won't. (laughs) And, And it makes total sense, you know. You've got like 5 million things you got to do, your online classes, go to this, do this, do that, and you want one place where you can leave a drink and forget it for the week and not have to bring it back to the kitchen. As irritating as it is for us because we can't find the glasses, does the world end? And the answer is no. Do bugs go into a room maybe? Sure. If she doesn't <laughs> mind bugs, then we're good.
2: But the fact that she's learning, the fact that she communicated, that that's what yeah. I'm hearing from from the story. And that's yeah. really, you know, for, for you to check off, okay, is she potty trained? Yeah, you. there's things that we are clear we need check, checked off. You don't want yeah. her leaving the home doing that. But there's other things that we don't really think about. Can my child effectively communicate? You know, can my child um, uh, re- reframe a situation to find the silver lining? And there's things that they need to know how to do that us as parents aren't, aren't clear on like we are potty training dress yourself brush your brush your teeth you know yep. and and so that's what I hear from that that you and your your wife um, gave her the space to to have that self-discovery and that that is key yeah and
1: and we, we've given a lot of space while at the same time been on top of each other's laps because of course with COVID <laughs> and the year before we traveled around the world together so we we're in like apartments or small places so one funny story, you'll get a kick out of this actually, there was a time where we did get in one of those you know, momentary arguments and she goes, I'm out of here. And she literally walked to the other side of the room and sat in the corner and she was like 15 feet away and we all just broke down laughing. And she just looks back and she's like, hmm. and We were all kind of like, if you wanna go in the hall, you can, you don't have to stand right there. But it was so funny because we're working through stuff and usually you have a space, you can go to the other side of the house we were at the time in a hotel room, and she's kind of stuck. And so, we're like, you can go out in the hall if you need to. So, but it was cute. yeah.
2: That's yeah. That's that's awesome. But another thing I, I'll say for parents to do is a lot of times um, we don't want to show conflict in front of our, our kids if the mom and dad has has a conflict going on. And of course, you know, there's no domestic uh, abuse. I'm not not saying that yeah. or anything, but. Kids need to see conflict and see you resolve conflict. How else are going are they going to, to learn that? So uh, I think parents should be aware of which ones to do, you know, in front of, of the conversations to have in front of them and the conversations that you will probably need to have behind closed doors. But it's these, these adult, you know, these lifer elements that, that they're not getting. And then we send them off to college without these skills. And so the fact that, you know, Traveling is great, by the way, they, they can say they can say they say, you know, some about someone's personality, if you could see how they deal with uh, tangled Christmas lights and if you could travel with them and how they deal with lost luggage. That's how you truly know the essence of a person's character.
0: Buy new stuff. <laughs> Lights. I'm gonna go buy new stuff. Luggage, new stuff. (laughs) That's interesting. Have to remember the Christmas lights thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's so true. It's funny. It's funny what you mentioned about that. But I want to shift gears, going from kids and going back to our original conversation about COVID in the workplace Mm -hmm. and thinking about creativity. One of the things that I was passionate about as a speaker for many, many years was um, the uh, the multi. I'm just going to draw the blank on it. The generational differences in the workplace. So you have baby boomers, Gen Xers, Gen Ys, Gen Zs. We have all the different generations. They're all returning to the workplace right now. Leadership is all focused on metrics and and making up the lost profits and everything. And you're talking about we need to shift. We need creativity more than ever. What do the leaders of today need to really implement and go back to work with in order to take their organization to the next level and not become another blockbuster or a Toys R Us or a Sears and be left in the waste? What do these leaders need to do right now to get their team, excitement and get their creativity going to um, march themselves into the future of success.
2: There's a huge shift in leadership right now, and I'm so glad you brought that up. There's a McKinsey study that showed how there's four types of leadership from their study, like the authoritative, which is, you know, do as I, I say and just do your job description enough, nothing else. There's consultative, you know, the the consulting, they're supportive. And then there's challenging. And you can't, the challenging is where you want to be, almost like the four stages of psychological safety, right? That That contributor stage, that creative stage people are not going to give you that creative stage their creative best if there is not psychological safety there and there's not that supportive com- com- um, consultative le- leadership structure in place And so you're in, in this next decade I promise you you're going to see a shift in training and leadership because they're seeing how situational humility you know ego and creativity, can't really sur- survive, you know, or getting the creativity from your team mem- members if you have a fund someone who's fully on their ego as a, a leader. So that humility training is there. Situational humility, humility training there. Cultural competence is, um, you know, the the work that that I do. That intercultural cre- creativity aspect. Your ability to perspective shift. And on my podcast, when you hear Doctor Platt, he says the higher you go in the organization, as far as position. The less your ability to perspective shift is because you don't have to. People are busy per shifting their perspective to you, and so leaders, C-suite, and and um, you know the manager a, lead, a leadership, they are the middle man- managers. They have to work even harder to get the perspective. And I love this story that I heard from a podcast. Um, I, I forgot his, his full name, but he is now the CEO of a, like a billion dollar company. But he said all throughout his career, he made sure when they had the dinner parties and the work events, he sat with the onboarding team. He sat with the janitorial staff. He sat with the secretaries. He I like, I don't need to sit with C-suite. I know what you're, you're thinking. I'm with you all the time. I need to touch all the elements of my company to see what are people experiencing? How can I help or what are the processes? How can we be better? And then the last point I want to mark on is something that Nilafer Merchant calls the onlyness of you. And she's from the Harvard Business Review. And going back to my diamond metaphor, we are multifaceted. We have all these facets of demographics. And when you think of demographics, you think of like gender, ethnicity, and nationality, and maybe dis- disability. But there's so many other demographics that are coloring the way that I'm going through life and that I see the world. And for leaders to only look at a person and see their job description, you're cutting out all this resource, right? The the cultural assets and these resources that people are bringing to your company that they're not allowed to express. And so there's great examples on there that I, I probably don't have time to get in through. But allowing and doing activities and setting up a culture to allow these other facets to come to to be because creativity is all about connecting the unconnected, making unobvious associations, combinatory thinking, metaphorical thinking. And if people are only one track mind, you're unable to do that type of thinking and have that innovation network turn on and giving your people time to think um, and, and that resting thinking time. If that is able to happen now, then you'll see those innovative ideas and you won't end up on that list of Blockbuster, Circuit City, AOL and Toys R Us.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. There's two things that you said yes, in there. Yes, yes, oh, Is that what? It's, uh... Go ahead. What are you going to say, Chris? No, you go ahead. I was going to say there's two things you said here that are awesome. Like everything is great. Go but... ahead. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you remember the uh, Chevy Nova, but I, I always get a kick out of why the Chevy Nova didn't work in oh. Mexico because you know the story. So what ended up happening was. They hired a team on uh, Chevy, no uh, the marketing team was all from the U.S. because they didn't care about the intercultural. They didn't care about the the things that are outside the obvious. So they said, well, it's worked here. And they just did a bunch of metrics and numbers. And obviously it goes to Mexico and it means it doesn't go in Spanish. And so no, <laughs> and it's mind blowing <laughs> that they wouldn't have even asked one person on staff in Mexico to say, does this make sense? Because I'm sure they're all going, are they, are they serious? I mean, I'll take my paycheck. <laughs> and the other thing that I thought was beautiful about what you said, too, is two of my favorite CEOs of all time, Ed Whitaker and um, Gordon Bethune. Gordon Bethune was with Continental Airlines, and Ed Whitaker was with Southwestern Bell, now AT And both of them started on the ground. Literally, Ed Whitaker worked up on the lines and he was you know, doing phone repair, and um, Gordon Bethune. Was an air traffic controller. He was out there, you know, doing the lights and the, you know, getting people into the, the uh, airport itself. And he actually knew how to fly every single plane on the entire. He had literally like every job you could ever have with Continental. He could fly every plane. It was just insane. And I've sat at dinner tables with both of these guys. And to your point, they do exactly what you're talking two times twenty. They knew everything that was going on in every single part of the country the company. And the minute United and Continental got together and became United, that company went to crap. And you saw the same kind of thing happen when the reintegration of the baby bells back into at and and more of a monopoly, that fa- fell wayside. And so I felt like this is the last effort. I think things were starting to heal, that we were seeing a lot of that, that companies were really thinking right. And there was one last almost like patriarchal effort you know, to say, we're going to do it this way, and now it's starting to crumble. And so mm-hmm. to your point, I've been watching this happen and frustrated that some of the most beautiful CEOs have been moved out or forgotten about for lesser CEOs who are just head down and not looking, zero creativity, all analytics, but you are a 1,000% right. We're going to see a beautiful transition, more Gordons, more Eds coming back into the workplace.
2: Okay, so Heads, that's head, head down and head, and head up. Yeah. No, no. And I was to so, say it's it's head down and and head up as well. That that day daydreaming, yeah. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So speaking of CEOs and speaking of the airline industry, I did extensive research on Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines. Right. Creative, good leader. I mean, is that something that we need? We need that 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 end of the spectrum on the on the on the plate now for what people need to be doing at the corporation, or is that too much?
2: Give me a little bit more inf- information.
0: Were you familiar with Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines? He wrote the book. I know uh, Southwest. Go in- <laughs> Oh, so basically he wrote this book. It was back when I was doing my master's degree and talking about basically inverting the, you know, the the leadership pyramid, you know, where it's always like, you know, it's like this inverting that upside down. He was like saying, okay, as long as you guys get the guys, get get them on the plane, get them transferred, get them to the next airport, you know, do whatever you got to do. So he put a lot of the control and a lot of the responsibility on the flight attendants, on the crew to be able to, to maximize what they were doing. He led board meetings crazy. He was just, he was himself. He was like not trying to be a statistical normal CEO he was just out there inspiring his team, and for a long time that really worked. Um, and I was just wondering if you if you were familiar with them, um, if that's something we need to see, or if we're going to see that with the Jeff Bezos and all the other people trying to set the example of "let's all go to space" kind of thing.
2: Well, you will see more cultural flatten type of organization. So even if they have to be, you know, like the mil- the military, there has to be a high uh, hierarchy there. Culturally, there it's flat because you get your creative ideas out there when people feel the safety to challenge the status quo. So if people can't challenge the status quo, you'll you'll get a lim- a limited or you know the, this is the way we've always done it. So let's just keep doing it or let me get your 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 yes men. And into to the point that Scott was making, Erin um, Meyer, who's the author of the 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 Culture Map, she talks about how there's a study how um, people can look at an aquarium and people from Western cultures um, see what's in the forefront and people from Eastern cultures focus on what's in the background. And so the reason why it's so important to get not just ethnicities, but just people from all walks of life and different experiential um, people at at the table. Right. Who has a seat at the table is the question is because if you have everyone who looks like you or, or has the same experience as you, everyone's seeing the same exact thing as you. But if you're seeing the same thing, thing, you're missing the same things as well. And so that, that um, speaks to the NOVA incident. So I, I see people really understanding that your DEI work and strategy directly affects your creativity output and your ability to really lay out the psychological safety culture and have that culturally flattened organization directly attached, um, attaches to the creative output of your organization. So, so, so here's a question.
1: So I love, I love that. And, and, and it's a hundred percent on point. And so you're saying what, you know, you're speaking to the choir. First of all, I appreciate the choir. I mean, you're, you're saying that we need diverse organizations because different, eyes see different things. It sounds so simple, but let, Mm -hmm. let's be honest now. Let's, let's step outside a little bit. I live in Texas. You know, we still, you know, have deep truth to that good old boy network here. You know, I'm a white male and I walk in the sales role you know, someone's going to hire me, trust me, because they're going to look at where you went to school, what degrees you got, who you know, and they assume that that's intellect, and intellect supersedes everything in their eyes. What they define is that. But here's the simple reality. Just because I studied something, just because I took this course, just because doesn't mean anything. Anybody could do that. Your point of what I can see beyond what's here or what am I bringing to the table? It could be travel, could be certain cultural shift. Like you said, you know, an Asian country that I'm looking from the back. I never knew that. Like, like as you're saying, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And it could have something to do with, you know, so many variables, but what do we need to do to start shifting the mindset of the collective to not just embrace diversity because we're told to do it or, you know, we'll get in trouble if we don't, but really empower diversity because, because here's the truth. All right. If somebody still says that we have equity in education in Austin, Texas, and of course, it's everywhere around the country. I'm just using Austin because I'm sitting here. That's the biggest load of crap on the face of the earth, because to your point, the sterile nature of a 12th grade classroom. Well, it's even worse when we go east of 35. I'm literally in a fourth, fifth, sixth grade classroom, and I feel like I'm in prison. And then I go to the other side of town. There's all the colors and everything else. Why is that? they might both have gotten the same funding, but all the moms and dads here have plenty of money to paint the walls and donate this and donate that. And they're not getting that. And then we're saying what's wrong with those people. And so to mm-hmm. the point, at what point, what, what, do we need to do for the collective? Cause you, I mean, you've probably looked at some of my posts, this drives me nuts. At what point can't we just say, if there's different minds that think differently. Let's empower the crap out of all of them. So collectively, our brilliance is exponential. Mm-hmm. Why is that so hard for us to see universally? What little steps can we take as individuals to get to that space? Does that make
2: sense? Well, uh, it does. It's it makes a lot of uh, a
0: Pulitzer Prize uh, winning answer, by the way. <laughs> Okay, let's
2: see. Well, here's what I have and here's what I contribute and here's what my work actually uh, attests to. And by the way, I will be in Texas speaking at the RTM event to probably 70 or 80 superintendents from around the nation. So I will be saying this as well. First of all, same thing as in the workforce, change comes from the top. And I also I always make the joke that LAUSD is like the Titanic, like we see the iceberg, but we're just too big to move, you know, and we, we're we going to hit it. We, we have to move. We have to shift because our children will not have a fighting chance. And this is the workforce of, you know, 10 years, 20 years from, from, from now. And so leadership change comes from the top. You know, if the superintendents make sure that the east side and the west side has print-rich classrooms from K to 12, then hopefully that will will um, and as opposed to one teacher here knowing it's important, but the rest over there don't, you know, and that they that they have the support that they that they need. Um, the other thing is what my work talks about: intercultural competence, and that is your ability to see difference. So you're not colorblind, you're color aware and you're color, you color celebratory. You are celebrating the distinctions, right? Uh, what, what Coach Earl says, not differences, but the distinctions. Um, the distinctions of pe- of people. And you something I call unified di- di- diversity. Yes, you and I are different, but we can be unified in in our causes and use our our distinctions to help each other be better. There's the places that I'm strong at that you're weak and there's places that you're strong at that I'm probably weak. So how do we find those out and then move this 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 message out together? And so intercultural um, comp- competence allows you to see complexity within P- people and their experiences and to adapt behavior. And so we need to do a better job integrating this type of skill set into the curriculum. So when these children come out as adults, they're already interculturally adaptive. They can really deal with bias they understand how their brain works with bias and they understand that they need to get in different situations to have exposure it's hard to work with someone it's hard to teach someone who you don't know or who you don't like because of a stereotype you're exposed to over and over and over again because of a certain media commercial or what you know what have you so making sure people are aware of that earlier on so it becomes a part of their thinking that they're interculturally competent and they're creative and that they could create together so they're interculturally creative to together
0: I, like <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to ask a favor jadeen will you come back on our show
2: always always <laughs> I, it's a pleasure to spot. just it goes so fast. And I'm like it's already
0: been 56 minutes and I literally have like three more questions I was going to ask you. So, we would love to have you back here on the unfiltered experience. I'm sure everybody's getting great value out of this and the drop and the gems that you're sharing. I want to make sure where can people get a hold of you and uh, continue the conversation with you.
2: Sure, I am at cafestrategies.com. That C A F F E strategy stands for creative advancement for financial Empow- empowerment and um I just love to I'm on social media, so I love love to yeah. share these tips about creative thinking and I'm here to, to keynote. I'm here to train. Uh, my, my books are on JanineLetford.com, but also they're going to be on Cafestrategies.com as well very soon. And I'm just trying to get the message out, out there as much as possible. This is the decade to build. So we have to build this so my son and your children don't have to be adults in a world where they're still dealing with these types of issues. They're able to fully create with one another and bring out the best in each other, just as Scott alluded to. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, connect with Janine right here. Instagram, we got at Janine Letford. We also have you at Facebook.com. Janine Speaks. And of course, you said Janine Letford.com and Cafe Strategies. Cafe, cafe strategies. Cafe I apologize Strat- I put that one in here. cafe we'll strategies. Yes. yes, we'll put that in the comments. Janine, final comments uh before we have you go backstage to the green room and Scott and I close out the show.
2: You are creative and know that we need your creativity to move this nation and this world forward. Thank you for your contribution.
0: You are awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Janine Luffer, we're gonna place you back in the green room. Scott and I are gonna say something and talk about and close out the show, say some nice things about you. We'll be right there, don't go anywhere. Uh, Thank you for being here on the show. There you have it, Mr. Goyette dang, I'm gonna have to go back and watch this because I know there was points where I was thinking, okay, where can I ask a question of this? And just the gems <laughs> that she was just dropping. Um, thank you yeah. for bringing her to the show, man. I mean, just uh, just an incredible powerhouse. What was, what was the main theme that you got out of what she was saying aside from the creativity, which we know about?
1: So, you know, t- to her point, she sat in the space of education and, you know, from the beginning stages of it all the way up through the college level. So she's seen all parts of it and, and I've been blessed to, you know, do some of the same things and that perspective understanding really shows us that people are being trained to stand autopilot and they're receiving that. And so I would go back to the things, you know, if you're gonna to listen to this again, I would go back to where she's talking about her own son. And I think that we need to go back and talk in depth about that because I guarantee you between just talking about our three children, all the things that we've done incorrectly and then reframed and fixed, if, if somebody even did 50 percent, I don't want to say better, more 50 percent more effective in our parenting style to get kids to be more creative and not so much hyper analytical and on autopilot, this world would change in a moment. Now, the hardest part to her point is, and I forget who she said or, you know, quoted it, but um, the point is for us to go back and make the shifts versus teach them up front, it's much, much easier to teach it up front. But if we're not collectively supporting the education uh, system early on, it's it's not going to work. So so I, my thing is really think about how you're taking care of your kid and reframing things and getting rid of those no's. I think that's the most important thing she said.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And by the way, Karnak says it was Frederick Douglass that made the quote.
1: That's I just, what it was. I Thank you. To, I just, <laughs> it
0: just came to me. Yes. No, I, well, I, I well, totally...
1: I was forgetting about Frederick I was never mind I was going to make a stupid political comment she probably knows exactly where I'm going with this but never mind keep going <laughs> sorry
0: yeah no I love what you said about that but I I love the over, the overarching message of you know limitations and beliefs and being able to to recognize that we each all have the power within us to sit there and say okay if i have something that's potentially holding me back or setting me back from where it is that i need to go i love the fact that she took ownership and responsibility to say okay listen i'm going to overcome that and i'm going to continue to work on that to this very day You know, you and I preach that all the time is to make sure like, okay, if we know there's an inefficiency or something that we're not good at, not to run away from that, not to go to the short-term gratifications, but to sit there and say, okay, listen, I'm in a situation now where this is an obstacle or it can be an opportunity for growth. And so I love the way that she said that. And she really inspired all of us to sit there and say, okay, um, take time, take time. There's a great book and I can't remember the, the exact title of it, but it was a CEO. And he says, um, um, fuck i'm gonna screw it up royally. but basically the sense of it was you got to make time to think like it says think and grow rich it doesn't say contemplate and grow rich it says to think and grow rich and he was talking about taking the time that we never really do to daydream and to have those opportunities to to be kid like again so i love that as well and i think i need to do more of that as well so i'm excited about that i'm excited about having her back on the show uh once she does have this book done and we can dive deeper into this stuff but uh ladies and gentlemen go connect with janine lutford and uh that is it for the
1: Unfiltered experience. We did too so many shows.
0: <laughs> I was I had three different names popping into my head. I'm like, Friday night live? What is it? Where are we at? So ladies yeah. and gentlemen, go out there and be the change that you bitch about. We will see you here next Friday night, five PM, eight P.M. Uh We'll see you here at the Unfiltered Experience. By the way, don't forget to go to www.theunfilteredexperience.com. Join the family. Come in there be a part of the Unfiltered crew. And we will see you next time, next week, Friday nights, always. We love you guys. Stay unfiltered.